This podcast was recorded live on September 9th at 10 p.m. Things may have changed since the time of this recording. And with that, please, everyone, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I am Samori, your host, and the fellas are here for another episode of SJH Man Cave. We are live on Facebook and looking forward to another fantastic conversation. If you're watching this on Facebook, make sure you like, share, and follow us at SJH Podcast Family. If you're watching on YouTube, remember that you can see this and other videos at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please tap the subscribe button and hit the bell to make sure you are alerted when new videos are available. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SJH Man Cave and email us at info at SJHmancave.com. And with all that being said, let's dive right in. And I think all of us are pretty tired of talking about Trump at this point. So it's been a whole lot of craziness <laughs> about oh, this past week. And I want to just throw it all together in one conversation. I'm not trying to go back and forth about him for the next 45 minutes again. So let's go down the list and you all can add some additional things if I've left anything out. He's called for ending training that revolves around white privilege and helping white people to be anti-racist. Uh, he's this is a little bit older, but it seems to be coming up again. He's claiming that he's going to provide a vaccine for COVID uh, before the election. He's threatening funding for California schools if they use the New York Times 1619 project as uh, part of their curriculum. For those who do not remember, the 1619 project was uh, basically a initiative the New York Times did about analyzing slavery and the history of slavery in this country. Um, there's secret audio that has been released recently um, revealing that he knew about COVID or at least knew that it was going to be a serious matter at the exact same time that he was telling everyone that it was no big deal and that it would be over quickly. Mind you, I'm one of those people who believes that this is completely irrelevant. Trump country doesn't care about COVID, so they don't care that Trump lied about COVID. So I don't understand why this is be being treated as such a big deal, but it is. Uh, and finally, he's been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for his part in the Israel-UAE peace deal that happened, I think, about a month ago. So wrapping all of that together, gentlemen, any thoughts on the recent news regarding Trump? I was uh, I was really thrown back on the whole Nobel Peace Prize thing. Uh, I guess I don't know too much about what the whole peace treaty that they made. I'm assuming that it'll last probably as long as any other peace treaty that was made between the two factions at this point. But uh, Very possible. You know, I mean, I don't, I, I guess that's the move that you had to make to get the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, I'm interested to see who's going to take that vaccine first. I want to know who's volunteering. <laughs> I, 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 haven't seen, I haven't heard one person say yet that as soon as that vaccine becomes available, they're going to just run up and take no, it. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to tell you right now, 
if all the Trump, <laughs> if all them folks that took the bleach and the Clorox go, <laughs> I'm taking I'm taking my seats. I'm getting my bears cool. I'm going to get some beer, and I'm camping out in front of hospitals. Because <laughs> you know, look, because I just want to see who turns that, into that a dog scene. first. You know who's taking the vaccine first? It's going to be all those people who said it was a hoax. All those people, all his supporters who said it was a hoax are going to run out and take that vaccine. And, and then we're going to be asking on Facebook, on Instagram, or all these social media sites, what happened to this being a hoax? Why y'all taking this vaccine? I mean, that's exactly how this is going to go. I just, every time I think about it, I imagine that that scene, what movie was that? Where everybody, I think it was Willow. Like everybody, like like the witches started casting a spell, and everybody started turning into pigs. And Willow was the only one that didn't, because he was like putting this little incantation on himself. I imagine myself sitting outside the hospital with like a little stick, like just giving me like a little, just saying something stupid, and just watching people come squealing out the hospital. Like, ooh, we, because if it's off, coming from Russia, know. I'm I'm curious to know. I don't know what the hell you're talking about with that Willow thing, but. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that is. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I'm like, I'm clearly I missed that. I, I was gonna be polite. I'm old. I watch old movies. Be that way. I was gonna be polite. And <laughs> yeah. not, I just couldn't bring myself to do that. I, I don't know. Hey, nobody ever seen Willow. Seriously? No. How about no, bro? How about, let's, let's go. I am legend. I know what that one is. I am legend. That that's what we're gonna turn into. I, well, I, I yeah, I just. I'm not camping out in front of the hospital. They come jumping out the windows trying to eat me. I'd rather imagine the pigs, personally. <laughs> Trump being nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize is definitely something that I didn't see coming. Um, I I understand that the deal is historic. You know, it, it, it's the, the, the first of its kind. But even though it's historic, it's questionable at best if it's effective or it's really actually done anything like to me you get the nobel peace prize because you have made started this initiative and it's been proven hey you've really done something you've really accomplished something trump hasn't really done anything regarding this whole conflict we're not really sure if this has is going to calm down tensions in the middle east or make anything different happen so to see that just throw it out there like, yeah, clearly he's an ambassador for peace. I'm like, wow. <laughs> wow. Personally, I I don't know. I don't know what the criteria is. Maybe it's easy to get one. I don't know. Um, no. Because they keep no. talking about like how, like I know I, like most folks that I didn't see that didn't commented about it. Basically, you know, they, they had to talk shit about uh, Obama when he got his. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't really do nothing. You know, I know y'all done seen them comments all day. He, he ain't really mm-hmm. do nothing to get his Nobel Peace Prize. But I'm like, ain't he the dude who instituted all the green shit, fucked around, and made help with the, get the green deal together and all the countries and stuff together to make a decision to try and make the planet and stuff better? Like, I don't, I don't necessarily call that nothing. I, I mean, <laughs> I just... I mean, that, I, I would have to think that took some work, at least a few phone calls, you know what I'm saying? He had to travel a little bit talk to some of these crazy-ass people over these other countries to actually make that type of a deal? I think I think if he wins this, I, I think if I think you got to change the name of this thing. It can't be called Nobel Peace Prize. And I don't know exactly what you would name it, but 
uh, we cannot have Trump and peace in the same in the same thing. <laughs> we can't do it. We got to change the name. What what could it be called? I don't know. <laughs> it's just a nomination. He ain't gonna win. <laughs> he ain't gonna win. I just find it uncanny that he would even be a nominator or elected to begin with. He ain't the RNC win. four years ago, it was just a nomination. <laughs> he wasn't, wasn't going to win. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> I can only hope it wasn't that, that there's really just a just more of a criteria, especially when it's a multitude of countries deciding whether or not he gets it. Like, like I, I don't know. Maybe he helped get a couple of people in the office with the whole deal. So he might have set himself up to get the Nobel Peace Prize. That's a whole reason probably why he got nominated. Whoever it is he worked his peace deal out with is probably on the on the, on the choosing chair or the council or whatever. And that's probably how he did <laughs> Best friends, drinking buddies. I wouldn't is, be surprised at all. I think half the planet that laughed at this man. <laughs> so <laughs> all he needs hmm. is for all that's this bag, all this bag of lies or whatever, just to hold itself together until after the election. That's all he needs. This whole Nobel Peace Prize thing this vaccine thing. He just need all that to hold together. He just go, I don't know what the vaccine's going to be made of. It could be water in there. I don't know what it's going to be, but he's sending out syringes to all these different states. He's giving that you know. to tequila. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it might not be a vaccine, but he's going to give you something. I'm telling you, something's going to happen. <laughs> I'm not taking it. <laughs> Don't worry, this is gonna make you feel better. It's gonna be one of the syringes. It's gonna have like a worm in it. And she's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's gonna be a straight shot of tequila. It's gonna come with a little sliced lime right with it too, and a little package of salt. <laughs> Yo. Okay, I am sick and tired of talking about Trump. I feel like we talk about Trump every episode, so let's cut it there. I know it's crazy, y'all. No, I know there's a lot going on, but. I, I, I'm good. We could take a break. No, no. Speaking no, of things that we, I... we can't pass up. <laughs> sorry, we, we have not touched on that. He didn't. He's ended. He's trying to get rid of all the anti-racist training. We 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 can't pass oh. by without at least speaking on that. I mean, come on. What? Why can't we? How how <laughs> obvious can you be? I, I'm just trying to figure out how obvious is he going to be before people will start to just uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe you're right. Let's cut it there. I just, I don't get it. <laughs> Anti-racism and, and, and having to, I read about that too. Like, do, do the government of people have to do that? Like for real? Like I heard something about them having to like write apologies and stuff like that. Like for real? Like what do you mean? Write apologies. Well, I saw some kind of a, I don't know if it was something that was official or anything like that. I read about it and it was one of them Yahoo posts that said that like when they get that training, like supervisors or like people in like managerial positions have to like somehow submit some something in writing in regards to being apologetic to their, you know what I'm saying? Their, uh, their minority employees or staff members that are working for them. Oh, okay, I, their staff. I probably would find that a little annoying. I was like, I, I didn't yeah, get I mean, better. So, well, okay, but their staff got it. Right. <laughs> yeah, every company is different. I mean, some, some companies have been in specific situations where disrespectful things have happened 
to either women or minorities that work at their company. And so they have to release some sort of statement, making it clear that whatever happened is something that they do not stand for. But what, what Trump is trying to stand against is training that revolves around helping people to deal with their biases and mm. becoming more anti-racist and being more respectful of other cultures. He considers that kind of training and dialogue to be anti-American fundamentally. Or let me take that back. More than likely, that ain't how he feels. He just feels like he needs to say that in order to be able to win. Fact of the matter is, he's just going all in to try to hang on to this presidency. Mm. And he didn't really want to be president in the first place. So to me, the only reason this makes sense is that he believes if he's not the president, people are going to start suing him left and right. That the power of the presidency is protecting him from a lot of the legislation and, and inquiries he would have to deal if he went back to being a regular citizen again. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to hold off on that for as long as possible and doing everything he can to stay in office. And like I said last week, let, let's be real, it's working. It's working. He's neck and neck with Joe Biden. All the momentum seems to be on his side. More and more of his base seems to feel real comfortable with voting for him, despite all the rhetoric, despite all the issues, despite all the problems. So as much as we may look at it and say, hey, we're laughing at him, people are laughing at him, we all see him as racist, you, you can't say that he's not an effective politician. He knows what he's doing. And this is going to be a dogfight to get him out of that White House. Well, also, apparently, when you're the president, uh, as long as you're president, you can go ahead and rape people, too. Because the Department of Justice apparently steps in and takes that bullet for you. I, I, I didn't realize that. Like, when I read that, I thought it was amazing. Like, wow. So because he was president at the time that he raped or he lied about raping the girl, which is what the story had said. Basically, he was acting as an agent of the government. So the, the Department of Justice has stepped in and basically said that, you know, the lawsuit is against us and not him. <laughs> I find that very interesting. Like, wow, I, I really got to get into this politic game. Like, I can just do what the hell I want to do. But it just seems like the more and more of it, like, pops up in regards to what you can do and what you can't do, all the stuff that's being questioned is since he's been in office. And he seems to be pushing limits on everything. And nobody seems to be able to know how to get his ass out of it. Because they're not used to somebody who operates this way. It's like what Hudson was saying last episode. How do you deal with somebody who doesn't feel the need to say the truth and whose supporters don't require him to say the truth? He can basically come out on the podium and say just about anything. And you've got millions of people all across the country who are not only comfortable with what he's saying, but will viciously attack anybody who tries to stand against what he's saying. When you have, a, I don't feel like we've had a figure like this in politics before. Ever. Because again, Trump is somebody who, what he does doesn't matter. He can support anything he likes, say anything he likes, and his people are just going to go for it. If Trump came out tomorrow and said, I 100% support uh, Medicare for all, and I'm going to work with uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders to get it passed and make it happen, all of his supporters would be on board with it. They say, oh, Trump likes it? Well, it must be great. <laughs> so, so let's do it. There's nobody else in politics who could just wave that magic wand and make all of his supporters all of a sudden just go for something that just the other day they would not. 
But Trump has that kind of sway for whatever reason. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that it used to be that they used to make excuses and say that's not what he meant, but now they don't do that anymore? Like they don't even make those kind of excuses anymore. Whatever he says just stands. Yeah, that is true. They they used that to be up true. there like, no, that's not what he meant. He's he's more of a conversational type of person. Like when he started spewing off that stuff about uh, injecting people with the sun juices or something or, or with bleach, hey, disinfectant. I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> he just rambling on. And they kept making excuses like, hey, that's just how he talks. He talks in a conversational way. He's just throwing out ideas that's not what he really means they don't even do that anymore they just they just say yeah, whatever he says stands nope. you know they just, I, yep. I wish exactly. he had said the bleach thing today because they'll just go right out and just inject the bleach for real now because I mean, they just hey, take maybe, it. Last time, maybe i took it wrong he just didn't <laughs> maybe i should just put it in my veins instead of just swallowing it yeah, yeah maybe you should exactly Matter of fact, when the vaccines come out, I would really like to see you go. I'm going to be outside in my chair with a beer. That's Trump, the usual nonsense, and this is going to be a long couple of months. Moving on, I want to go ahead and get the, the topics out of the way that I feel like we've been dealing with every single episode. And once again, there's a young black brother who's been murdered by the police and it's caused all sorts of upheaval. So Daniel Prude had a... a altercation with the police. Seems like the brother was definitely um, suffering from some mental health issues. They put a spit bag over his head and he very quickly made it clear that spit bag was affecting his ability to breathe, that he was uncomfortable, that they he needed them to take it off and they refused to do so. Five minutes after they put the bag over his head, his body went limp. They took him to the hospital. He died. Um, seven officers involved in this incident have been, um, I believe, suspended um, because of the issue. And recently, the police chief, Laron Singletary, retired from his job and members of his command staff either left the force or resigned their command post and re returned to the rank of lieutenant, specifically because they feel like there's been this wave of criticism towards how they've dealt with this entire situation, um, accusations that they were attempting to cover it up and were not honest with the public about what happened when the police um, approached Daniel Prude. So it has become a uh, major situation for the Rochester area. Interesting to note as well, not only is the mayor of that area Black, but the police chief who resigned, Laron Singletary, is also black. And it seems like the, the intensity and the pressure that's happening over this issue is not going to subside anytime soon. Brothers, your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, the thing about it is that social media now uh, is, is such a bit monster than it was even five years ago. And... And I, I think with all this wave that's going on since this COVID started is, is just overwhelming, I think, for a lot of police departments to take. I mean, this criticism now is just totally in their face. And I admit, it's in their face every day at this point. So I think that criticism is definitely tough for them to 
to, to continuously take when I don't think they're used to taking that much on a daily basis. Like it's, it's everywhere. And I mean, but I, you know, it still, it, it doesn't let it condone it for me where, I mean, we got officers in the wrong place. I mean, we, we got them dealing with mental health issues again, when, when that's not something they need to be dealing with. So, you know, I mean, this problem is just bigger than just the police. I mean, we, we this whole system that's, that seems to be, I just want to send a cop to everything. I just want to send a cop to everything. Even the police should be upset by now about just, it's, it's cops got to do everything. Why would they want to be put in that position every single time of, I mean, and, and I know we're talking about Daniel Prude, but we, we just had a, a another incident that's made headline news of, of, a, of an autistic uh, boy that just got shot by the police. And, you know, again, it's why are we sending, sending police to situations where you need other trained professionals there? Why do we keep doing that? And and the only reason is because we don't have the funds allocated correctly, or we're just not hiring enough professionals in these different areas to be able to 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 combat these situations to to deal with them properly. That's what I think. Hmm. I don't know. This was kind of hard for me, just for the simple fact that uh, I have a nephew who has some mental issues. And I, it's something that I worry about constantly with him because, you know, they, he, the police, the, the, the police in this area, they know about him. So is it, it isn't necessarily like a worry that, uh, you know, like they'll come in and do something wrong or anything like that. They seem to have a bit of a rapport with him, even though he's, you know, he, he sometimes he can get a little irate. But uh, I guess they've been around long enough or they've seen him enough that they're they're a little bit more experienced with his particular situation. But like 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 Hudson was saying, like with the 13 year old, I don't I don't I don't imagine what a 13 year old could do that would threaten your life. Hmm. I I don't know what a naked man walking around out in the street could possibly threaten you or like, I get the fact that they don't, their, their first response when they're called is to detain, obviously. But I talked about this before. Like, it seems like the police, the only way they feel like they're in control of a situation is when they basically hogtied somebody. If they don't have complete control of your body and your mind, you're a threat regardless. And I don't know if that's in the training or if that's just the fact that some of these motherfuckers are just scary as hell, I really don't know. I don't get it. I don't, I don't get how it takes five or six dudes to lay on top of a naked guy and then throw a spit bag on top of them and then think that everything is going to be okay. Let's, let's, let's let this little naked dude, you know what I'm saying, let's just sit on him. Let's let his chest compress, because that's the whole other thing. They love to have you over on your stomach and whatnot, but like you know, your lungs are in the front, right? That 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 affects breathing, and then you hear a lot of them yell out that whole, you know, I just, if you're talking, you're breathing. You know, sometimes that's a motherfucker's last gasp. Sometimes you got to yell the fuck out and shit because you don't want to die. But that don't seem to ever come across because if they don't have control of you, then 
it's a problem. If they don't have control of you, you have to die one way or another. That's just kind of how it seems. And like I said, I don't know if this is involved in their training. I don't know if it's the fact that these cops are just scary as all hell or they, they believe they own hype in the grand scheme of things when it comes to the fact that they could do whatever the hell they want to do. And it's, it's annoying. And when you say, like, we don't know, like, why we call the police, I don't understand why somebody... The majority of these people that that had the, that called the police and whatnot were related to this dude, so I don't I don't understand why you don't jump on the phone and just call for an ambulance because most EMTs, most firefighters are actually prepared to handle those types of situations. They don't they don't they don't have like the training you know to, to you know be to, to be a therapist or anything like that, but they deal with people with mental issues all the time because they take them to hospitals and stuff. They they, they have to. The most of the time, their their health is at risk anyway. So I don't know why the police are the first ones to be dispatched anyway. So I don't know if that has to do with 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 systems of, of the, the infrastructure with police or nine one one or how information is being delivered to police or firefighters or EMTs. It, it it seems like it's a lot that's inherent in it because the police are always the ones who show up first. And well, this is the whole thing. Kid, like they said, when the cops basically went, just almost as they arrived on scene, that kid was shot. This is the whole reason that defund the police is kind of spreading across the country. At least people asking for it and fighting about it, because one of the pillars of defund the police is that we keep sending out police for every single problem that is wrong with society. Instead of saying that there are specific situations where you definitely need a police officer, and then there are other situations where you don't. Um, I, I think this entire situation and others that have happened highlight what was really wrong about some of Al Sharpton's recent comments. Um, I think it was yesterday or the day before yesterday, he was on MSNBC and they asked him about defund the police. And he said, well, it's only latte liberals out in the Hamptons that are talking about defund the police. And anybody who's really on the ground and dealing with, you know, more dangerous neighborhoods, this is not the type of policy they would support. Let me be clear. I'm in Chicago. I'm in North Lawndale. I'm in one of the most dangerous areas of Illinois. I deeply support defund the police. Now, I also understand that this needs to be applied in moderation. We need to figure out what is the, the right way to do this. And we can't have that conversation without the police. And I understand that there are other groups in some areas that are basically asking for wholesale, tear it all down, take all their money away, kick all these officers out on the streets. I understand there's some problems with some of the ways that people are presenting defund the police. But at a basic level, it's saying we need to address the way that society deals with its problems and how every single issue seems to end with a couple of guys armed with guns having a conversation with an unarmed individual. This is a problem. It's a problem. And for someone like Al Sharpton, who I respect and who has a very, very deep history and relationship with the black community for him to come on TV and say something like that. I think it's just incredibly, it's just disappointing. It's disappointing and incredibly disrespectful because the fact of the matter is police brutality is something that Al Sharpton has been fighting against since the very beginning of his career. And he did nothing. 
Nothing. Nothing has changed about police brutality because of anything that Al Sharpton has done. And no matter how you feel, no matter how you feel about defund the police, it is it is definitely causing change. It is definitely something that police officers have decided they can't ignore. They were ignoring Sharpton and the little marches he was doing and the little activities he used to have. None of that really made a dent. But these defund the police policies and the pressure that they're putting on municipalities, it is absolutely clear that police officers have taken notice and that many of them feel threatened by it. So why would you, as a black man who has fought on this issue for however many decades, get on TV and basically try to say, well, really, it's only white folks that are with it. Nobody who is black who are actually the ones that are dealing with the issue of police brutality, nobody who's black would really support this. That doesn't make any sense, brother. It doesn't make any sense. And I just find it very disappointing to see our elder black leaders. It it seems like time after time after time, they come out on TV and they say, well, you know, all we need to really do is just get along. We need to do the soft thing. We need to do the thing that's going to make everybody comfortable and anything that seems a little bit radical or a little bit pushing the issue, no, no, no. I don't want to be with that. It's 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 hard for me to watch. Oh, I mean, Al, Al Sharpton, I mean, look at who he, if, if anyone, look at who he would represent if he represents anyone in the Black community, right? He would represent old people like himself. And, and I mean, I don't mean to say that like like old people don't deserve representation. They absolutely do. But who's more than likely to be fearful of of talks of defund the police? And and so uh, I mean, just to be just to be honest, it, it's it's we have to be honest with ourselves and understand that, especially with the way it's been presented, a lot of people are going to be scared of a defund the police. Some people are going to talk tough about defunding the police, but when it really comes down to it, they're scared too about what that means because no one knows what it means. And there's not going to be any national mandate on how it goes. It's not going to be any national talks. This is going to be from, it would be from state to state, from city to city, from township to township, county to county. We don't know how it would turn out in our specific areas. And that is a scary part, I admit that. And and Al Sharpton, if anyone, is probably speaking to that, but he doesn't speak to, to a younger generation who would really be pushing that sort of a thing. He, he does not speak for that. And it's been a long time since he spoke for that. So, you know, I, you know, I, on one hand, I see it as, I, I mean, I know you're not really saying traitor per se, um, I'm just thinking of kind of a lack of a better word here, uh, a traitor, traitor to the cause here per se. But you know, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to see it more as a he just represents a different group than what I'm definitely a part of. Um, but I mean, we we gotta we gotta start actually having a conversation about what defunding the police means. You know, I was just having a conversation with somebody on on Facebook about reparations and defunding came up and, and based on what they thought reparations meant and what defunding meant, I mean, it's far from what I think reparations and defunding meant. So obviously 
And it doesn't say who would be right or wrong. Because, again, I don't know what they would say in Chicago, especially. What would they say? What would they do when they think, would that mean a, 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 a thousand police officers that are on the street get laid off? And, and that would not be my vision specifically of a defund the police. But, you know, I, I, yeah, Al Sharpton don't represent me. I, I'll tell you that right now, real quick. You know, speaking of def- being able to define uh, defund the police, I, I did want to go to our chat. Uh, Harold S. Reed mentioned, where are you going to get the social workers that are willing to walk the streets at three in the morning and deal with these situations where supposedly the police um, don't need to be sent? I think that is a great question, but I, I guess I don't understand why people keep bringing that up as a reason why defund the police wouldn't work like we have emts who come to these areas at two three o'clock in the morning and they don't always have police officers escorting them and yes they are absolutely vulnerable but to me it's the exact same situation where you say hey if someone is injured that doesn't necessarily require a police officer but you do need someone who's going to be able to provide the medical assistance so you send that person there I don't understand why, you know, a naked man alone in the middle of the street is going to be somehow treated as a situation where you you must have guns if you're going to approach this person. I, I find that I find that difficult to agree with, especially considering the situations we've seen time after time again, where black people end up being hurt in these situations. And then the problem in that too is what I've seen or at least what I've speculated and looking at some of the video, uh, you have EMTs, you have firefighters that are there in those situations where police come in and they take over. Like, like, uh, there was a, there was a kid that was kind of like, there was another video that was just out that recently. Uh, guy was out, like they called because he was just outside. Like the guy was basically screaming for help. Uh, he was just kind of incoherent. And there were EMTs, and I believe there were a couple of firefighters out there basically just trying to calm him down, trying to let him know that they were there to help him and trying to get him into the back of an ambulance. And they were giving him space. They were just basically letting him calm down. And a cop came in and literally tased him. He just arrived on the scene. <laughs> <laughs> the guy, he literally had just got out of his car, walked up to the dude, and tased him. Then the next thing you know, they arrested him to get on your stomach and all this other stuff. So... You have to start thinking at this point, it's like not only if, if even if you have the proper people at these situations, you literally don't want the police there at all because you don't know what they're going to. They're basically going to take over. It's like, you know, we tired of this and we just go, I'm going to do what it is I need to do to get this dude on the ground. So it's like, y'all need to don't even call them. Like, please, please don't call the police. Do me that favor. Like if I'm on if I'm if, if I'm ever out here butt naked. And I'm losing my mind because I didn't got stressed out. Please don't call the damn police. Please, I, not, even if they know who I am, I no, don't don't call them. I no, I don't want to. I don't want to. When the when the cops show up, I'm running away. I'm gonna go hide in the bush. I think what we have to remember is that there there was a time, and and it don't seem like it because we're so used to the time we live in now. There was a time in history where we we had no clue how having a police department would work. There's a time in history where a town had a sheriff who sat in his his doggone 
uh, in this doggone sheriff's house with a jail and just sat there until something went down. You know, there was, there was a time there wasn't even a sheriff in every town. <laughs> there, I mean, there we, we're talking about, when we talk about how would it work to have, so how would we pay for it? We, there used to be talks way back when, uh, how would we pay for a standing police force? You know, how would we pay for that? Same way we pay for everything else. You know, and the answer is, America don't pay its bills. I mean, America's had how much debt? So same way we pay for everything else on mm-hmm. credit that we, we have no intentions of paying back anytime soon. You know, I mean, there was a time when it was, hey, how are we going to keep a standing army? Because a long time ago, we used to didn't have a standing army. We had to, we had to, have, we had to have volunteers. We had to draft everybody who was going to go out and fight in a war. You know, we didn't have, we didn't have what mm-hmm. we have now. It, everything starts somewhere. So when we ask the question of how we're going to get there, well, it's going to be by the sweat of our brow. That's something that they used to say back in the day when I was growing up. You do it by the sweat of your brow. And it's not going to be perfect starting out, but you have to start somewhere. So we can't keep using any excuse of where we're going to get this money or how we're going to do it, who we're going to find to do it. You know, we figure it out like we did when we came up with police departments. We figure it out like we did when we came up with we're going to have the army, we're going to have a standing army for whenever anything kick off, we're going to have them just in case. We do it just like we did then. That's how we do it. Hey, uh, Harold, uh, just to comment on that, uh, that's why police officers are EMT certified. I ain't seen one use that shit yet. <laughs> I have not. I have not. I don't, I don't, I haven't seen all the videos. I haven't seen all the stuff. I haven't seen one cop use CPR yet. Especially after they he done shot somebody. I see him shoot him <laughs> and handcuff him and wait for the EMTs to show up. Just so they can tell him, yeah, he did. You did kill him. like literally like if if you think about have you seen one video where you've seen one cop trying to use cpr on somebody i have i have seen the situation i have seen it after a shooting where a cop you where a cop shot someone and decided that they had been disarmed and then rushed towards them and then tried to save their life after he has shot them. I have seen that, but I do agree with you that there have been multiple videos where we see the exact opposite, where the police will shoot someone, handcuff them, and then leave them on and the ground there. handcuffed and do nothing. <laughs> wait for the wait for cops. Or even worse, they'll shoot someone multiple times who was clearly unarmed and then tell them freeze, knowing that they're already dead or that they have several bullets pumped into them. Yeah, they still so I understand. I understand your your the, the anger, but I do believe that you know to, to be realistic, they do use the training sometimes to try to help people yeah. and to try to save lives. People that they believe is worth trying to save. Now, even if you talk, like I, I find that very hard to believe. I think he tripped and fell on dude. And you thought he was giving them CPR. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I have a hard time believing that no. shit. A cop, a cop <laughs> shot a dude and then tried to give him CPR yeah. to save him. I, I find it hard. Was he white? Was the dude he shot white? Uh no, it was a Hispanic. It was a Hispanic person. Uh, he probably looked white. <laughs> <laughs> I find that that's a hard one for me to believe. Jason ain't budging on that one. That's a hard one to stomach. 
<laughs> I ain't seen wow. it once. I haven't seen that shit once. <laughs> I just haven't. It, 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 it happens, bro. And I've had, and I've worked <laughs> in spaces and whatnot where we have called for EMTs and the cops show up first, and they'll stand there looking mm-hmm. at the first just like we looking at them. It's like, you know, y'all not going to do nothing? <laughs> like, for real? Okay. You know, you know, actually, this brings up a good question. For those specific situations where that does happen, if they if they have the training and they have the the tools to be able to, you know, apply help for those for those people, is there a specific reason why they do not? Like, is there something in the training that says there are specific situations, even if you have someone who's shot and someone who's considered disarmed, are there specific situations where you're supposed to apply that training or situations where instead it's considered that you should be stepping back and observing and basically trying to control the situation, not necessarily focusing on this person who needs medical help. Well, I, and that is something I don't know. Well, personally, probably, they probably missed that lesson somewhere between knee to the back of the neck or spit guard <laughs> and sit on his neck until he stopped breathing. Pretty sure, pretty sure he may miss out on that shit somewhere. The, all them dudes uh, and shit that we didn't seen in the videos that was sitting there that they weren't breathing in jail cells, where it was eight, mm-hmm. nine, eight, nine of them who are certified, certified EMT. They all leave and a nurse comes. <laughs> nine dudes on top of one guy. He say, I can't breathe. They sit there for another 10 minutes. They get up. They kick him a couple times. You know, they shake him. You know that. You all right, Harold? You okay? You all right, Joe? And then they all leave. <laughs> they leave. And you see this one nurse come out of nowhere. Oh, he's not breathing. We got to call the ambulance. No shit. <laughs> no shit. Them nine fuckers who have CPR training, who are certified, didn't realize that? Or they didn't yeah. Or they didn't hear when they say, I can't breathe. Somewhere in that training, it's just somewhere, they missed the lesson. Maybe they didn't have time that day to, to watch that video. Like, I, I used to know a, a 911 operator. Um that, that used to work for the city and, and what they and what they always told me, and I don't know if this is still policy, is that they send whoever's closest first. Like even if you ask for an EMT, I mean, if, if, a, if the police are, are closest, if they're a block away, they're going to call them. So whoever, it, it, they, they consider it all emergency responders, I guess is, is the best way to put it. So they send whoever's closest mm-hmm. and, and they'll still send EMTs. They'll just be on the way so they could essentially be 25 minutes away as opposed to a policeman who is who is a minute away. Um, but as far as what they do when I get when they get there, the, what what we what we often don't talk about and, and, and I think it's worth discussing is what do these 911 operators tell the people that are coming to respond? And, and I think we've heard like a couple of stories where a person saying they called 911 asking for EMTs, just like in, in one of these uh, last situations with the 13-year-old autistic uh, uh, boy. She said that she called and said she needed some help because it, it, she asked for a person who could help with that specific type of situation. But we got the officer saying that, hey, when they got the information, it was, we got somebody possibly with a weapon threatening somebody. Now, I think they may have walked that story back a little mm. bit. I don't know. But, you know, I think there's got to be some, I think there's something also with these 911 operators and what they're expressing 
to these emergency personnel when they're coming to the scene? Like, what are they? Uh, I think sometimes we need to hear these 911 calls and what are they saying? Now, maybe we're not privy to that. Maybe they can't release that. I don't know. Uh, they may can release the, the 911. They oftentimes do. Well, I think they can release the 911 call that the person who, who called in, but I, I, I don't often hear the, the call between the dispatcher and the, and the emergency personnel and what they're saying. Like, I don't know how that goes. Right. What kind of situation were they prepared to come into? Right. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I'm sure there will be, <laughs> unfortunately, more situations where we'll have the opportunity to discuss this and go through this, brothers. Uh, let's move on to the next topic. Jessica, and I don't know how to pronounce her last name, Krug, I assume it is. Uh, George Washington University professor who outed herself um, in an essay to medium.com as someone who had been pretending to be black for years um, when in fact she was a she is a white woman. She was teaching Latin American and African history at this university and finally decided that, you know, she had been living a lie. She felt horrible about it. And she needed to finally come clean and make it clear to everyone how sorry she is for living this uh, double life for so many years. What I found fascinating is that apparently her family didn't know that she was doing this. So at home, <laughs> she was. <laughs> her, her family <laughs> felt like they were, hey, this regular old middle class <laughs> white American family. But at work, <laughs> she's she's pretending to be a black woman, which is crazy to me. Which is crazy to me. You know, but, how do you uh, how do you like how do you bring <laughs> your Thanksgiving leftovers to 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 work to eat? Because that's a dead giveaway. So you know, <laughs> when you go to Thanksgiving dinner at your house, it's pumpkin pie. But you can't bring pumpkin pie to the office. That's a dead giveaway. We know you're not black then. So how do you, I mean, how do you do that? You're not bringing collard greens and- Unless you lie. <laughs> you got to lie and say it's sweet potato pie. I, I guess so. <laughs> and the only way they're going to know if you taste it. <laughs> I mean, I can tell. I can tell. You know, I, I can tell sweet potato from a, I yeah. don't need to taste yeah, we know it. You. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's many signs. I mean, like, is the only one that know by sight. <laughs> I can tell. I've had many of both kinds to know. I I, I want to make sure that I never get an imposter. <laughs> if you all were one of her students, you know, and, and been in her class, how how would you feel about this? Like, would you want her to uh uh be fired the way apparently she has? I mean, they got white people teaching African-American studies like crazy in a lot of these universities. So, I mean, I, I'm, I would have questions personally. I was like, so, like, did being black, like, get you, like, a couple extra bucks or something? Like, I never understand, like, what the reasoning behind it is. Like, is there some way, like, if I become, if I'm white and I become black, is there some kind of gain in that that I don't know about? Is this something that we're not exploring? <laughs> I'm just very, I'm very curious about that. Like, <laughs> there has to be some kind of, there has to be some kind of reward for that. Like, what, what's ha what's the benefit? There's a reward for it, or you're not comfortable in your own skin. 
and you feel more comfortable trying to be somebody else. Yeah, but I mean, you got shit. You got tons of white rappers and shit that fuck around and run around here. Well, most of them go and get tattoos and shit all over their faces too. But the majority of them, you know, they just shit. They bring some weed and they just have fun. They bring some pussy for some of the other rappers and they just get it in. Like, <laughs> I ain't never seen none of them fuck around and tattoo their skin black. Jason, Jason, you, you got to remember, we live in a day and age where, where you can change your gender, you know, with a couple surgeries now, brother. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't, I mean, so, so, I mean, it's, is it's it not, that it's easy? Stretch. Yeah, I think it's that easy now. You know, I think it still costs a lot of money, but I, I think it's that easy now. Look, if I was, if I was her student, like, I would want her to continue covering it up because I would feel embarrassed that I didn't figure it out already. Because like I said, this, I mean, you got to revoke my black card for not figuring out that this woman is not, I mean, there's gotta be signs all throughout the year. You're telling me you can't figure out that this woman ain't who she says she is. Um, I'm sorry. I don't see it. But as far as, as far as the, I mean, we, we had, it's 2020. We've had many white people teach African history. We've had many. I, I mean, I just don't see why we 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 have many black teachers who's teaching white history. You know, the whitewashed version of American history that they like to teach us in school these past. I don't know how long. So it's not like you don't have to be a. It, it, there's no certain color to teach history. So I, I don't get it. I got, it's the same question I've been asking about why, like, all these white people be adopting all these black kids. Like, I tell y'all, like, all the time, like, every time I go to my kids' school, it's always, like, a bunch of black kids hopping out of white people's cars. Or they all be around in the neighborhood and stuff. And I need to know what the end game is. I feel like this is, like, part of it. Like, there, I, ain't no, ain't no telling how many white folks is out here pretending to be black right now. I think we've been infiltrated, people. Okay? We've only caught two. <laughs> and for some reason, they all volunteer the information. Like, why I was about to say, we didn't catch them. They outed themselves. Right. Like, so, so, like, what happened? Did something happen that, that was black that you just didn't dig? It was like, hold on, I'm white. <laughs> you know what I'm well, you said they got pulled over. In this particular you case, they got pulled over. <laughs> <laughs> In this particular case, I think she was about to get outed by some of the other teachers. Mm-hmm. I, um, according to an article I read, I think some of the other teachers had figured out that she wasn't really black and had planned out her, out her. And so she kind of came out, one, because, you know, maybe she really felt bad about it. But two, she also probably figured, well, the jig is up. I might as well, you know, write. I need, I need an interviewer, whoever found out. And I need you to tell me how you figured it out. Because we, we need these lessons out here now. We got white folks impersonating black people, people. We are in, we have been invaded. This ain't cool. I mean, <laughs> let's not pretend that black people pretending to be white isn't a thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's a big difference between being Carlton and it actually becoming Carl. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> now, unless, like Hudson say now, now, they, if they have them surgeries out here, because I was going to ask that too. Like, so is black folks out here pretending, are they, are they getting the injections and getting rid of the melanin and whatnot? It, I don't know. Is that a thing too? Because I see the Latino community has actually like created a sect that, 
I, it's, it's some Latinos out here. Like, you wouldn't even know they was Mexican until you heard their last name. And I've worked mm-hmm. with a few. It was one dude I worked with. I thought he was Irish for the longest time. Turned out he was Mexican. And I was like, oh, wow. Totally blew me away. So is I, that a thing? Is that think, a thing? Well, I think if we went back to, like, the 1800s, like, like not, not, like, I think if we took all the laws from the 1800s and brought it back where you where you had to be a certain percentage to be considered black, I think a lot of uh, I think there'd be a lot of white people who would be remiss to find out <laughs> what they are actually considered in the 1800s society at this point. So, I mean, uh, so by all practical standards, there could be a lot of a lot of people who have claimed, you know, to be white that are in fact black by <laughs> by certain racist standards <laughs> from the past. So, I mean, uh, look, you know, we I mean, believe it or not, and and it's going quicker than probably we all realize is that you know, I I think it's going to be something like like we're all going to be like this bronze color, you know, like in 300, 400 years where we're going to be like those, what were they, mooks on uh, South Park? What what was the what was the name of those folk on South oh, Park? Oh, you got it right. <laughs> the Glurps? No, oh, you ain't talking about the Goobacks. What, the Goobacks? Is that who it was? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, exactly. We're, we're all going to be them. In like 300, 400 years. So I, I don't think I, none of this matters and none of it should matter. I mean, we're in 2020. It should not matter. We need to act the court. We're going to be the, the glurp backs or whatever they were, whatever they were called on South Park. And we need to just, we just need to own it. That's what it is. I don't know why people keep resisting. That's crazy. It's two of them. We've been invaded, people. Y'all need to start questioning, like, y'all professors, some of y'all supervisors, managers and stuff. Y'all got to start looking a little harder because they out there. And they us. Underneath the skin or the makeup, whatever the hell they did to change up the whole deal. I uh, I just want to know what the process is. Like, is that just makeup? Is that you sitting out getting yourself a good tan? I don't know because I didn't see some folks with a tan that don't turn out looking like Trump. They don't be orange all the time. I've seen a couple of them come into the stores. I work at, you know, I work at a retail store. And the white folks that come in there, you got a couple of them that hang out there in the sun long enough, you'd be like, huh. Interesting. Until you hear them talk or until you see them pull their credit card out their pocket. Time out. And and Jason, this is really serious. If you have suspicion Mm -hmm. that you have somebody perpetrating, okay, Mm -hmm. you, you need to immediately invite them to a family barbecue ask them to bring a dish, um, you know, ask them the best place to get some, to get uh, uh, some fried chicken. Ask them if you're in the Chicagoland area, ask them which heralds they like to go to, you know, uh, ask them about certain things that from South side or West side that they just don't know anything. You wouldn't expect they know anything about, you know, I used to think like the mm-hmm. ultimate deal would be like, you like rib tips or like just regular ribs. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. You don't like rib tips and shit. That's a dead giveaway. Like, hold on, stud. You mean you gonna bring a rack of ribs over here? I need tips. <laughs> wow. You I know. I never thought about that. <laughs> That's an excellent point. I was just saying. Uh <laughs> Jawan uh, Thompson said in the chat, um, 
that at the end of the day, you know that they all want to be like us. We know this. <laughs> Obviously. Not to mention that, <laughs> that a lot of these white ladies love black men, which I you know. see, of it course, time and time, time again. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, with that, let's move on to a little bit of uh, black love, ladies and gentlemen. I want to turn our attention to our Black-owned business of the week. This week, we want to put the spotlight on King Customs Auto and Collision Repair. Specializing in restorations, King Custom prides themselves on making your vehicle look like it just came off the showroom floor. Whether your car needs a little love to battle against those harsh winter months or you got into an accident, the good folks at King Customs are ready to be of service. King Customs has been serving the south side of Chicago and the south suburbs since 2017, but its owner, Carl King, has been doing this for more than a decade. So if you're looking for someone with a passion to get the job done right, I suggest giving King Customs a try. I encourage you to check out their location at 2829 West 167th Street, Unit 6 in Hazelcrest, Illinois. You can also show them some love as well as see videos and pictures of their work on Facebook at King Customs. But if you're old school like me, just give them a call at 708-541-9086. Moving on to our next topic. Apparently, Dr. Dre's wife wants $2 million per month Man, for their divorce proceedings. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice <laughs> for all of us? To work out the details of this arrangement, she is demanding that he sit in person for a 21-hour deposition. Uh, her, her lawyer team has said publicly they believe the chances that he has COVID are very low and that it, 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 it's necessary that he actually be there physically. They said it should not be a Zoom meeting, that he needs to be there in person to attend to this situation. Uh, her team says, and I quote, his entire career and public persona are based on defiance of authority, violence, and refusal to comply with the law. Nicole claims Dre thinks the rules don't apply to him because with an estimated net worth of $1 billion, Dre, quote, really? has grown accustomed to doing whatever he likes whenever he so chooses. Yeah, Dre's worth almost a billion. Really? Oh yeah. Damn, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I need to learn how to make me some headphones. I mean, is this a surprise? Is, is there somebody is there somebody is there somebody worth a billion dollars who isn't above the law? I mean, even a, even a black person. I mean <laughs> This is an excellent point. <laughs> what what is that barometer where okay, you know, I don't really have to care about what the police think of me anymore. <laughs> this dude got enough money to teleport himself out of any situation he's in. I mean, what, what, what kind of problems he got that he can't solve so, at this moment? So, you know, I don't know much about the business side of uh, what Dre has been doing. Does anybody know, has his wife played a major part? In his career and his business enterprise and his deals and things of that nature? I, or is this just one of those, I've taken care of your kids, I stood by your side, pay me <laughs> type of deals? <laughs> well, I, I, 
I figured she probably had just as much about as much to do with it as any other wife would. That pretty much like is with a dude who where you have to sign a prenup. I mean, you just kind of <laughs> there, like you support. You know, maybe she cleaned the house when the maid didn't show up or something. <laughs> but that's that's, it. that's me talking shit. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't. I can't say I have a clear understanding of spousal support. The way it was explained to me is that spousal support is is based off of what your potential, uh, uh, what your potential would have been had you stayed with them, or or potential of of what you could have done if you weren't with them supporting them? Well, I mean, what is spousal support really? What is that supposed to cover? I, I still don't quite get that. Uh, my understanding, you know, luck, I'm, I'm one of those lucky brothers who has never had to go through divorce proceedings, so I'm not speaking from my own experience, but my, my understanding is that well, if you get divorced from your wife and your wife has children, you're responsible on some level of making sure that your child has the same standard of living well, that's that child you do. Support, so, well, but she had, but they have children, and they're going to be living with her. Yeah, so it's the same deal. But spousal support and child support are two different things. But isn't that part of what the two million is supposed to be? Mm-mm, that's spousal. No, that's, that that's her. That's two millions all supposed to be hers. That's her money. They ain't even <laughs> talked about kids yet. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody made a comment that's about awesome. kids yet. I ain't even Yo. had kids. <laughs> yeah, spousal and, and, and child support. That's like, awesome. Because like spousal support is basically like alimony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's two mm-hmm. different things. Okay, well then throw everything I said out the window. I, yeah, because like I, even I like looking at the list that they use to justify to justify the two million dollars, the kids ain't even mentioned. Like her cell phone and shit is in that, which is 20 grand a month, apparently. <laughs> what kind of phone you got? <laughs> she talking to space I know aliens. That they see- <laughs> I swear to God, like is that Verizon? What is that? I, ooh, yo, thinking with T-Mobile, baby. <laughs> yo, right. she's trying to finesse them. That's awesome. That's awesome. Cause let let's not pretend that she's gonna be cheap when she starts asking for the child support. Oh, she no. she is getting every dime she can out of this situation. Right. Real quick, like how old is his kid? I got, I got to look that up. Like how old are his kids? They can't be that young. No, no, absolutely not. It's like because if they over eighteen, or well, that's then that's probably why you haven't heard about it. If they over eighteen, you wouldn't get right. uh, You wouldn't get child support at that point. That that's a great point. I hadn't even thought about that. Right. I, well, I, I keep I forgetting how long support. Dr. Dre has been out. Well, I think his child support. Well. Well, I was trying to say, I think child support can extend a, another, especially if, if the kids are going to college, I thought. But yeah, I, th- I think it's like the, the rule of thumb is usually when they turn 18, that's when you, that's what all, all you know, the bum-ass niggas is always waiting for their kids to turn 18. They get excited, they go have parties and shit because they ain't got to play child support no more. Yeah, yeah. I, I I apologize to all our listeners right now. We try to do some research on any subjects that we bring up and have some understanding of it. But you're dealing with three married brothers who really don't know a lot about divorce. So <laughs> just gonna make sure I get a big house. You stay upstairs. I stay downstairs. How long were they married I before think- this divorce? How long were they married? They, so they are married for 24 years and they have two children, a son that's 23 and a daughter that's 19. 
Um, since both are adults, no child support is required in split negotiations. You can be married to someone for 25 years and decide, you know what, I'm sick of this dude, and it's time for me to go on my own way. <laughs> I mean, I Guys do that all the time. I don't see why women can't do it. especially an asshole for the whole 24. <laughs> that too. Like, how often is she really home? How often is he really tending to her specific needs, you know? Mm. So at the end of the day, she feels like not only can I leave this dude, get a guy who's going to be more attentive towards me, but I can get a million dollars per month when I go do this? Why not? Why not? I mean, I guess I... <laughs> I mean, yeah. fellas kick girls to the curb all the time. It's like, yo, why Why should I be stuck with you? My, the kids are gone. They, they, they up out the house. It's time for me to go get a young chick and go live my life. I mean, what changed now that's, that that's wasn't the there 10 years ago? Like, I, I mean, that's what I'm trying to figure right. out. Okay. I mean... You know, she could have did that. He, but you, he was worth. But it might million. have already been ten, 10 years ago. When I look at this, his their children are twenty three and nineteen. So one of them should be just coming out of college, and the other one will be done with college in a couple of years. She might have only been tolerating this because it because of the kids, <laughs> and it's now like, oh, the kids are about to be up out of here. Well, I'm up out of here too. Have a wonderful life. That's an interesting move, Jack. <laughs> I'm gonna wait till these kids get grown, and we gonna we gonna do this, Jack. That's a bold move, Jack. The, the list that this woman got though is crazy. It was it was amazing to me is that I'm pretty sure whoever her divorce lawyer is the one who wrote this up. Absolutely. I sit down and hey, how much you think your cleaning bill would be? Let's let's get this all added. <laughs> <laughs> like, like for real. <laughs> Education tuition, sixty grand a month. Like you, you, you still going to school? Wait a minute, who this money for? <laughs> like, oh, how you going back to school? No, no, dog. You've been living with me for twenty four years. Ain't no need for school no more. We good. Because if you trying to go back to school so you can make your own living, then you don't need my money. But Betty, let me just pay the bill. I'll pay the tuition bill. We'll call it even. <laughs> go ahead. Go get. Go get your degree. Have fun. Yeah. Yeah. I will, it, it, uh, it's it's crazy. It's gonna be interesting. Contributions. So, <laughs> I, so I, she needs money. Too. <laughs> she need money to donate, but she gonna use his money to do it. <laughs> Charitable contribution. How do you how you with a straight face put that into a court document? <laughs> Easily. Charitable contribution. I like to donate money to people, so I'm gonna need his money to do it. I've made wow. certain commitments that, over that. my years that me and him were married, and I have to keep those commitments. <laughs> I got kids that want to go to college that I've been supplying this this college fund Ooh. for all this time. I mean that that's how that work, I guess. But I, 125 a month—that's a lot of college. <laughs> Shit. I mean, but this is Dr. Dre. I've got to assume that that prenup is ironclad. I mean, not only he was already a, a businessman and he, he's got to have seen other guys who were screwed over because of weak prenups or not having a prenup at all. He decided he, from a very early age that he was going to be an entrepreneur and someone of real means. I have to assume that they're, this prenup in place is something that's really going to be able to protect them. If she's able to really come out of this <laughs> getting anywhere close to $2 million per month, that she said, I don't care how rich I get. To, giving somebody $2 million a, per month 
was really not doing anything for me anymore. <laughs> well, I, I think that it was a gun to the head metaphor just before the wedding. That I can imagine Dr. Dre walking in with a pistol. Sign it, man. Sign it. <laughs> well, if it wasn't a prenup, wouldn't it be uh wouldn't it be a I want half of what you got now and half of what you make in the future? Ain't that how it would go without a prenup? Because I know that's what that's what folk try to get. Basically. So so she'd be looking at half of, to be worth half a billion. And then on top of that, <laughs> trying to get those royalties too, wouldn't she? The Ford Bronco is supposed to be coming back. And, and we got Dr. Dre possibly paying out $2 million a month to, I, we might see a recreation. I'm going to just leave it at that. <laughs> let that go. Wow. <laughs> I was just let that go. Wow, bro. <laughs> wow. Any of the Cochran's available? Is anybody practicing law now? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the next topic. Um... I wanted to talk real quick about uh, gun ownership because I want to make sure all of our viewers are aware of what's going on in the country right now. You might have heard the stories that guns are flying off the shelves around the country. People are arming up and putting weapons into their homes. But there's some specific data about it now. The FBI has come out with their report for July and said that in total, there were 3.63 million firearm background checks completed by the agency during that month. All right. It's no joke. And by all accounts, that number is expected to be higher in August. If you do, if you are not armed in any sort of way, if you do not have a gun in your house in any sort of way, if you don't have your Ford card, you might want to, I, <laughs> you might want to strongly consider going ahead and taking the time to start visiting the range on a regular basis, have a Ford card, and have some sort of protection in your home. It is better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. And that's just that's just a straight up truth. And that is what you are seeing white people doing across the country right now. And let's be frank, a lot of those white folks do not like us at all. And there's a very specific reason that they feel the need to stock up on weapons and ammunition at this point in time. I'm sure you've seen many of the stories about even if Trump loses, he probably won't just leave. Mm. That he's going to tell all these crazy ass armed supporters that he was cheated, that they're trying to take over the country, that you've got to fight for me, that you've got to defend me. I, I think and <laughs> I, I don't want to be the doomsayer type of guy, but I, I think this is one of those situations where you really, really, really want to be prepared for the worst. You don't want to be in a situation where things are breaking out in the area where you live and you don't have any sort of way to defend yourself and your family, where you're depending upon people outside of your home for your own personal protection. Even if uh, Trump doesn't win this re-election, 
I mean, it, it's still up in the air, a lot of these issues. I mean, Biden's not going to come in and, and, and uh, take care of these issues that we're having right now. The reasons for these, these rallies, these protests, the looting, the rioting, with, with these demonstrations. So, so we, we might still be in the same boat when it comes to all this stuff. So, so it's very important that, that however, you know, I, I advocate definitely knowing how to use and operate firearms, you know, but however you want to defend yourself, I, you know, I, I think, I think you need to make sure you're all studied up on it and get the training, do whatever it is you're going to do. Because I mean, as me, I, I definitely lean very liberal and, you know, I see all the posts of, of people who have, you know, these posts of, of these, these Black Lives Matter protesters who who got aggressive and 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 beat down a Trump supporter or or you know a person who was defending himself against a Trump supporter and and knocked them out and they say I, I've seen those videos, but but there's videos on the other side too, and and there's there's if you go on I. I I constantly look on conservatives' pages, and they have those same videos on the other side of Trump supporters knocking out these Black Lives Matters and, and and Antifa and all that. You know, they got all those same videos up of the other way around. There, what and what it boils down to is there is a lot of violence that is going on between the two sides. It's like a cold war right now, really. And, and within our own country, we got a cold war going on and it's getting deeper and deeper. We're going down this rabbit hole and, I'm, and I don't think Biden is going to be in a position to stop it. I'm not sure he's going to try. We've already heard the rhetoric that he's, that he's uh, talking about and, and, and it's, not going to, it's not going to solve the issues that we got going on right now. So I just don't picture, I, I don't picture whoever's president these next four years. I don't picture us going down a different path than what we're going on now. That's my two cents on it. So yeah, uh, however you protect yourself, make sure you know it. Make sure you got a plan because I, I think at this point, people who don't need to start getting one. I 100% I uh, agree with what you're saying. And that's part of the reason for my message because when I look at these two sides. I feel like so many times it's Black Lives Matter protesters who are unarmed and who are basically marching and and screaming and shouting and trying to get justice going up against these right wing protesters that look like they just came from Afghanistan with rifles and body armors and all sorts of other crazy equipment on them. And I'm like, look, look, y'all, it's not the 50s. It's, it's not the 60s. We don't have a responsibility to be at the mercy of violence at the hands of these people. It, it, it seems to me like there are some folks who believe if you're fighting for justice or you're standing up for equality, you have a responsibility to make yourself vulnerable to people that want to do harm towards you. And I don't see why we have to repeat that all over again. If you are going to approach me with a rifle and say, and basically try to demand that your way is right and I better get off the street 
and I better get out of your city. I don't understand why I have a responsibility to deal with that situation unarmed. And I feel like that's what a lot of people are doing. And it's causing situations like, let's be honest, Kyle Rittenhouse. You know, the trial hasn't happened yet. So, you know, we can't make a real determination about did he come there to kill people? Was it malicious? Yada, yada, yada. But the fact of the matter is there were people standing there who felt like he was using his rifle to gun down a bunch of folks. And the only thing they had to defend themselves with was a skateboard. Like That's not it's not going to get it done. And it's not going to it's not going to deter the next crazy right wing protester who decides that he, he would really enjoy coming to one of these protests and killing somebody and doing serious harm to somebody. And so I, especially if you have a heart for the community and you're going to be standing up and presenting yourself as someone with defending the community, protect yourself, protect yourself. And like Hudson said, do that in whatever way, you know, is going to be comfortable for you and make sense for you. But don't just leave it all up to chance. Don't just throw your hands up and say, well, I'm just going to make myself vulnerable and it'll all work out. Because at the end of the day, the people who want to do harm towards us feel empowered right now. They feel empowered by the rhetoric that they see and by other people who are like-minded coming to the forefront and out and being more so out in the streets. Well, me personally, shit, I'm more worried about when I go to Walmart. I didn't see too much of that bullshit in the Walmart parking lot. I, I ain't out there protesting and shit. I'm just trying to go and get my ass some deodorant, some milk, and some cereal for a little low mm-hmm. price. And I ain't trying to walk into one of these damn... I didn't see so many fucking Walmart videos and shit with these motherfuckers out here getting shot and killed. And they out here in the first part of the parking lot running over people with cars. I mm-hmm. shit, that shit made me want to fuck around. This I guess I just need to start getting all my groceries through Amazon or something. I, I this shit make me nervous. But like I say, yeah. I'm I'm signed up for October. I'm going to get mine. <laughs> <laughs> shit. <laughs> Oh, you did sign up for the uh, mm-hmm. concealed carry class? I most certainly did. <laughs> I said, fuck, I took a couple yeah, days bro. off work. It was like, okay, all right, well, this this the time. Because I I honestly, like, like with guns and stuff like that, it was nothing I ever even thought about before. Like, I've lived in shit neighborhoods and whatnot where people where gun play would happen, but I, I've even been in situations where, where shots was fired in my immediate area, but like, it I guess I'm not gonna say that I was like uh, used to it or anything like that, but it was never anything that ever really bothered me or anything I ever thought about. Mm-hmm. But nowadays and shit, like I, I think these cameras and shit was—I'm not gonna say it's the worst thing ever invented and whatnot, but all these damn videos and shit, like, this shit is depressing. It's not cool. Like I told, like today I saw maybe six, seven Walmart videos and whatnot with some dude that ran over somebody with a car. Or somebody that got mm-hmm. shot in Walmart. All I'm trying Crazy to do is go man. get me some cereal, man. I just want some cinnamon toast crunch. I ain't trying to get my ass shot since some crazy motherfucker see me and think Black Lives Matter. Uh, fuck that. I want to snuff this nigga out. Like, hey, hold on, dog. I'm just, I just need deodorant. I want to go home. <laughs> so when it, even with, when it comes to the politics and stuff and, and the protesting, like, if y'all going out there to protest, I don't see why you wouldn't go out there armed. It doesn't even make sense to me. Like you say, you, you if they doing a peaceful protest or they exercising their Second Amendment rights and shit, then why can't you do the same thing while you fighting for what you're looking for? 
It's like you say, like it's expected for people who are fighting injustice and whatnot to be the ones who get knocked on top of their head or had their head cracked open and whatnot because, you know, if if that's what you want, then you need to take what's coming to you. It's like, no, fuck that shit. And push comes to shove and all rights and purposes and shit, you lucky these motherfuckers ain't been storming like they did out there in Seattle, storming these police stations, burning shit down and taking more motherfuckers out than you really want. Hell, this looting and shit is probably the, the looting and all the stealing and breaking of these buildings. Shit, you probably coming out a lot better if you really, if you really saw the anger in people. If you re- and I don't know if the left are just like just totally against it, but I, I I guarantee you, like you start seeing a few more of these protests, you gonna probably see you gonna start seeing a lot more armed people out there in the streets, and it ain't gonna be well, the dudes protecting property. Well, we already saw the recent incident of, you know, one of those right wing protesters being killed by what was it? I guess a a guy who was considered to be a a member of Antifa Mm -hmm. and the police then went on a manhunt trying to uh, trying to track him down. Now, that Antifa member, he did an interview where he said that basically that protester uh, that he felt like his life was in danger and that the right wing protester came towards him with a knife and he had to do what he what he did. You know, I, I think it's not really clear whether or not that's the case yet. It's still an ongoing investigation. I'm about to say we but, ain't gonna know from him and shit because he got his ass right, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the same type of deal. All these, again, all these right wing terrorists that they bring in alive. But I swear, anytime it's a, it's a black person or someone who's standing up for black people, somehow the police just gotta shoot them. <laughs> they just they just absolutely have to shoot this man. Now, in this particular case, I understand this is a person who's considered, you know, armed, dangerous, on the run, yada, yada, yada. And he probably did make the decision, y'all not going to take me alive because I don't know what's going to happen if that goes down. So I'm not trying to put this in the same type of class as we've seen in other examples. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's frustrating, but but it's but it feels like it's in the same basket and shit. That's exactly. for damn sure. It really does. It's it's mighty convenient that that right. left this motherfucker <laughs> get his get his head blown the fuck off and shit. And we don't know what the fuck happened, but we we, exactly. we we gonna make sure that the dude on the right and whatnot that was murdered. We gonna make sure that his his shining light and his patriotism is recognized and shit all across the country. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, let's not forget. Right. Let's, let's not forget to... that we, you know, we come from a country who who had an uprising of discontent citizens <laughs> and decided that they were going to overthrow mm-hmm. the current establishment, right? So, you got to think that over the years, yeah. they they looked at their history, read their history and said, "Huh. You know, this could happen again." <laughs> You know, and it could happen to us this time. How do we prevent that? Huh? Mm-hmm. You know, somehow we convince people that going out peacefully, you know, the people who want to change things up should always go out peacefully and and never hurt anybody, never have a gun, never, they, just, they should just stand out there peacefully. While the people who want to keep things the same, well, obviously they're the ones that need to be out there with the guns because, the same is good. And, and uh, I mean, we can't <laughs> pretend like that that's not by design. I mean, you know, you, you got people defending mm-hmm. the things that they, that they don't own. They will never own. They're, defend, they're defending a system that has never been for them either. 
you know, we we always talk about the system being against uh, uh, black people's best interests, but this system really is against uh, well over ninety percent of the population's best interests. You know, and and I just don't see how how so many people on the right don't see that. And, well, they do see it, except they only think it's Democrats doing they it. See it. Why would they? You know, they they think it's only Democrats <laughs> trying to do it, and they don't they don't understand that Republicans have been a part of this same system <laughs> for this whole time as well. So I just don't understand how they can separate right. Trump and other Republicans out of the government when they are just as big a part of the government as anybody. So I I don't know. I just don't know how the reasoning can can get in their heads and just stay there like it does. Because then it would have to be made sense of, and it would, it would have to make sense. And right now, everything on the right doesn't really seem to need to make sense, thanks to Trump, as you said so eloquently many other times. You get to follow the lead and shit. If you ain't, if you ain't got to make sense, then why why even try? <laughs> like it, like it, let's just throw caution to the wind. Let's say some of the most stupidest shit we can think of. Guess what? We'll get away with it. It's it's hard to watch, man. Let's move on to something a little bit lighter. Uh, Hudson, you mentioned you want to talk about your kind of over the versus battles now. Yeah, yeah. man, come on, y'all. I mean, yeah, I feel like <laughs> I feel like so many other people want to say it and just don't want to be like the. The, the person who just kills it kills the vibe but you know how many more of these versus battles are we gonna have and I mean okay I admit I haven't watched a single one but I'm tired of looking at it on Facebook and Instagram None of them? and Twitter. I have not looked at a single one and you know I can understand I can understand you know some of these really big names. But when I start looking down my timeline and seeing, you know, little little Chitty Bang Bang versus, you know, versus little Scooty Tooty Wooty or whoever, <laughs> I sit there like, who are these people? Why? <laughs> like, who are these people and why do they deserve to get a versus battle? Why is this on my timeline? And, and I just gotta say, I'm, I'm I'm done with it. I don't I don't want to see. I haven't seen a versus battle to this point. I don't plan on seeing a versus battle. And and now I'm to the point where I don't even want to see mention of a versus battle. So I'm hoping this thing is fading away, and and we're gonna start seeing the end of it personally. I gotta ask some more because obviously he's been. What's involved in the versus battle? Because I okay. assume that they just singing a bunch of old shit that they had in, in the cabinet somewhere that everybody liked at one point in time and in, in the past, and they just replaying it. So, versus is run by Swiss Beats and Timberland, and basically what they do is they try ran to add. By? Yeah, somebody's okay. Uh, this is new. Oh, yeah, to me too. People. Are... I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so they figured they try to find um good matches and then they set up let people know what's what's going to happen things of that nature so um yes a lot of these artists are playing 
um, their older material. You try to play songs that people are familiar with. But these versus battles, they're basically considered a competition. And a lot of times it becomes a chess game between the two artists to try to figure out based upon what song the other guy played, do I have a song that I feel like can one up that and basically allow me to win the round? Um, so it's not just them just playing any old 20 songs. You know, you've got to try to figure out a flow that's going to allow you to win the match. And then some of these people have a large catalog of hits, but the kind of songs that are effective in a versus battle where, you know, it's just two guys playing their songs and then everybody in a remote location listening, the kind of songs that work in that situation, you might have hits that are just not going to be that impactful in a versus battle. And therefore you can't use that song. And so what you see is people who were definitely not prepared for the moment <laughs> playing songs that, yeah, this might be cool to you. <laughs> and maybe it was even good for your career, but it don't mean nothing here. Uh, all versus battles are not good. You know, there have definitely been some whack ones. I didn't watch it, but I heard that the, um, uh, Monica and Brandy battle wasn't all that, um, wasn't worth it. I watched the T-Pain and Little John battle. That was fantastic because I was, a, and I think you were too, uh, Jason. We were both Little John and Eastside Boys fans. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was about to say, like, yeah. me? What? It wasn't where this took place. Like. <laughs> All right, no. So, look, as, as a fan of Little John and as somebody who kind of came up right around the time when crunk music was getting hot to see uh little john playing those records to relive some of those moments in my mind when those records were popular and then to see a lot of times you get to see that dynamic between these two different artists and sometimes they'll have little stories in between like when babyface was on he had a story about Michael Jackson trying to get call him up so that he could get Holly Berry's number because he wanted to go out on a date with her. You know, it's stuff like that, like stories you've never heard before that this setting gives artists an opportunity to talk about. Snoop Dogg and DMX recently had a versus battles. I was a huge fan of DMX when he came out. And, you know, it seems like every time I see him in the news, it's something bad. He's going to jail or he's been arrested for some reason. So to hear see him in this situation where you know, he's clearly a little old man, but he's still passionate about the music and, you know, still, he's still that dude. You know, it's just nice. It's just nice, man. So I enjoy them. Um, I do feel like sometimes we have too many of them, but I think they've been working on Dr. Dre versus Pub Daddy for quite some time now. Oh. That is definitely a versus battle that I would go see. Oh, <laughs> And for you, to you, Hudson, I would say don't knock it till you try it, bro. Check one of them out. How about how about versus battle? You know, because I I remember I grew up in the '80s, so I reminisce on eight. How about uh, like a, a a movie montage uh, versus battle? You know, the the Karate Kid montage versus the the Rocky montage or something like that. The battle of the montages. How about that? Now, I could go for that. You know, I'm just saying. Wow. I had Eagle versus uh, who was another good one? Like Air Force or something? I forget what that was. You got to get Iron Top Eagle. Gun. Iron Eagle versus Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. That's what we want to do. Yeah. See, now these are versus battles I can get down with. You know, I don't know nothing about what you're talking about. 
You know, are they even so they're not even singing <laughs> on trying, these versus bro. battles? <laughs> they're just playing their records. They're not even singing. Well, so it depends. Like a lot of these people are rappers and things of that nature. So no, they're not rapping or singing. Except there have been a couple of times where people did it to flex, like Babyface. He had been playing, you know, I think they were in like the 11th round. He had been playing his songs the whole time. And then he reaches outside the screen, picks up his guitar, and he and he does a rendition of When Can I See You Again live. And, and so everybody was like, well, okay, he clearly took that round. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's moments like that, you know. And again, you know, you can look at Babyface and not be sure, can he really sing? Does he still have it? And so I know for a lot of people that were huge fans of Babyface, to see him do that and see it do it do it live and know that he still got it, it just feels good. It just feels good, and it brings you back to the way things used to be. And I think especially for those of us who feel like music is worse now than it was back during the time when these artists were popular, to be able to go back to that time when people really put more effort into their music it's nice, man. It's just nice. So it sounds so this is a DJ battle, is basically what it is. I'm just you know, I'm just spinning <laughs> spinning my CDs. It's basically what's going on there. That's what it sounds like. You know, with- it's it, I mean, on some level it is, but it's also about it's also a, a lot about showmanship. You know, uh, can you a, a lot of ways they're selling their music. Because they're not just playing it and then just sitting there and saying nothing. Unless your baby face, who just feels his rhetoric is so incredible, he didn't feel the need to, you know, do anything extra to try to sell a butt. Like T Pain, T Pain was running back and forth, throwing up his arms and and dancing, waving. He was making it clear, like, yo, when my records play, y'all all need to get hype <laughs> because this is it right there. Nelly, Nelly went up against Ludacris. Nelly was doing the exact same thing. Anytime his records was coming on. He was dancing when Ludacris was playing his stuff. Nelly was just <laughs> barely doing anything. Like, yeah, your stuff is nice, but it don't compare to mine. You know, so it's also that showmanship part of it, where can you really sell the personality that people have been buying all this time? Some people are good at it. Other people definitely not. Scott Storch went up against Manny Fresh. Manny Fresh was clearly not ready. <laughs> clearly not. Man, Manny Fresh looked like a person who just ain't ready for any meeting like he he made fresh looks like he looks like he's behind he's a day behind everything you come for a meeting he's he's there for yesterday's meeting that seemed like the type of dude Manny <laughs> I mean so I can't say I'm surprised by that so, wow. I, he just you just knew that's what he looked like to me wow <laughs> he always late <laughs> but <laughs> I brought the wrong notes. My bad. Hold on. Let's see if I can get. <laughs> Next up, um, Steve Nash. There's been a lot of controversy regarding the head coaching role that he got recently. He is now the head coach for the Nets. They didn't have a real search or interview process to get a new head coach. They just basically chose Steve Nash and said, hey, you're the guy. Now, I think it should be noted that two of the all-star caliber players, um, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Kevin Durant, made it clear that they wanted him on the team, they wanted to play for him, and they're excited about playing for him as a head coach. 
but it hasn't stopped multiple people from coming out publicly saying that this is an example of white privilege and that it was disrespectful towards many of the black head coaches who have not received head coaching um, gigs in the NBA for them to pick this man and put him in these positions. And I think the other thing to note about this as well, it's not just a head coaching job. It's a head coaching job for a team that is basically ready to compete for a championship next year. And oftentimes what we see is black men will be hired into positions, uh, head coaching positions within the NBA, but it'll be for teams that are rebuilding. It'll be for teams that, you know, are, are definitely multiple years away from being able to compete. And they'll stay in those roles for, you know, two, three years and the team may go somewhere or a lot of times it it doesn't for whatever reason. And that guy is then fired and someone else is put into their place. Rarely do you see black hat coaches immediately be put into a position to succeed. Now, shortly before we started this live broadcast, Steve Nash came out publicly and concurred with the criticism and said it is an example of white privilege that he's in the position that he's in um, and that more work does need to be done to give more black head coaches opportunities to um, to to succeed and, and be leaders of teams. <laughs> but, but not at the same time. Right. <laughs> right. But not I got I got him. I got not this on one. this team. My I got <laughs> right. But I got this right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think I think there's one other uh one other thing I want to know before we open it up. You know, we see in other sporting leagues, like the NFL is a great example, right? Where head coaching jobs are very, very scarce. Black head coaches are treated with a complete level of disrespect. And there's a huge disparity um, uh, of white people who are able to get these opportunities compared to black people. There is definitely a disparity in the NBA. However, there are also multiple black head coaches who were brought into their positions in a very similar way to Steve Nash, where nobody else was interviewed, nobody else was given an opportunity to compete. They were just, they were just clearly the guy. Uh, Isaiah Thomas in New York City was one. Doc Rivers, um, when I think he became the coach of the Clippers, is another one. And there have been a couple of other examples. So it's it's not like in the NBA what happened to Steve Nash is not really unprecedented for black people that are trying to get into those positions. But that being said, there is a disparity between the, the, the amount of white people that are able to get into these roles compared to black people. Um, Hudson, your thoughts? I mean, that disparity is in every industry on, on, in the U.S. Every industry, darn near every industry on the planet. I mean, so, I mean, I think I, I read an article the other day about about uh, same thing happening with uh, McDonald's and how they choose uh, when when black people decide they want to own a McDonald's, you know, they tend to always get McDonald's in a black neighborhood and underperforming McDonald's or historically underperforming McDonald's and they end up left to dry with with 
no no resources to help they often and they also complain that they often don't get the resources that they're even supposed to get that every mcdonald's is supposed to get so so i mean what they're talking about in the nba is nothing new um it, it's it's nothing new that's that's been that hasn't been going on since the inception of the nba you know so so I, I mean, it's great that they're that they're finally really discussing it. That they're really, you know. Um, but I think the NBA, the NFL, I mean, it's an example of, hey, um, you know, I'm happy getting my millions, you know, or my or my large amount of thousands, and I'm just going to go on about my business and not say anything. Um, but I, I think this is this is kind of an example of where where they, they feel comfortable now piggybacking off of previous protests of other things to now say, okay, well, it was safer to kneel. And so now let's start bringing up some other issues that's, that's kind of been plaguing us. But, you know, I mean, obviously on, on a lot of different uh, companies, you see uh, the, the people on the front lines, the employees on the front lines, they, they, the, the, the lower you are, the more diverse it is, the higher you go, the less diverse that it is. And, and I think uh, that's in every industry. So I'm not surprised. And, and, I, and I already knew that. I could already see it. I mean, you know, it, it, was, it was plain right dead in our faces. So I'm kind of surprised that it's not been more public news now. Well, it hasn't been because you know, they, they, people tend to be scared to rock the boat. They feel like they got a lot to lose. So they try to just kind of, you know, they mention it at parties behind people's backs or something like that. Hey, I'm really sick and tired. I can't get a coaching job around here. You know, and, and it, it's to, but it's just, <laughs> it's just that little side comment. So now they feel like they can say something. But the NBA, more than a lot of other companies, has a, has a union that they can go to and they can try to collectively bargain. So they, I believe, would be in a better position to try to make some change within their organization that people at McDonald's can't, you know, that people in a lot of other industries can. So, you know, I definitely would support them to try to get with their union and, and try to work out some type of arrangement where, you know, where we, we need to start seeing more more minorities in in a in these operations but you know who knows uh, it's hard for people to come together and, and figure out anything you know what's fair exactly how do you make it fair you know how how do you not turn around and you know but i think the ultimate answer you need to own your own you know players need to start pulling their money together and saying i'm gonna have my own team you know so start try either either start your own league or buy a team within the within the current league, you know, and and you've got to start working your way that way. There's multiple ways to work this, but it, it just seems like seems like it's nothing but complaining at this point. I don't really see much coming out of it personally. Yeah, I agree. I don't think this is going to be a catalyst for change in the NBA or anything like that. Most definitely. All right. Um, oh, Hudson. You want to talk about your baby as a quarterback, not a receiver? Oh, shoot, man. Look. Look here. She, look, my little baby, right? She can launch a little ball 
uh, and, and she can do it on the run, and she can be accurate too. Like she tosses that ball to me on many of occasions. Now, every so often, she got the little Trubisky throw, and she throw that some backwards or you know off to the side or something like that. But <laughs> but she be throwing off a bat foot. You know, when when she get older, I'm gonna try to teach her those mechanics a little better. But you know, I feel like that, you know, by the time that she's of age, right, that we're going to start seeing some female players in NFL possibly, you know, maybe even in NBA. I mean, times are changing. You know, we might be seeing our first female kicker within the next five years or something like that. So I'm thinking I need to get the first female quarterback prepared right now to go ahead and take that spot. And I think my little one could be that. <laughs> so, you know, y'all got to see there's an arm on this kid. I'm going to try to catch it on tape one time, but I can't because she's usually throwing it at me. I don't want to get hit. So, you know, <laughs> I, think, I think, but I think I got something there. I think I got a little gold mine. So y'all watch out for me because I, I think I think she going to make it. I First female quarterback <laughs> in NFL is going to be my daughter. I'm telling you. Or it could just be a response to you bashing in the face with that ball and all this. A natural reaction. Clearly has me outgunned here, so I need to step my game up so I can take it out. <laughs> I mean, uh, if it worked, I mean, what I, I, I'm trying to see <laughs> if it did, did y'all, did you not see the movie? He got game. Did you see how rough that was the one with Denzel Washington, right? He was pretty rough on the, mm-hmm. on the boy playing the basketball and he made Jesus it shuttles work. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> exactly. I mean, so I mean, <laughs> Barring any emotional damage, just, just to know he got a career ahead of him. <laughs> right, just to know he did end up hating his father too. So you know, <laughs> there's that part. <laughs> Look here, uh, you know how many parents? It's how many parents, and we got to be real with this. How many parents that I'd rather you make it and hate me than to fail and love right. me? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and, I agree. And I'm gonna be but there's real. Got, with I'm this looking thing. for that sweet spot, brother. <laughs> that sweet spot, you know, where you make it and we're still good. <laughs> you know, that's what so, that's what I'm looking there, for. Like, as long as I don't My see daughter. the hatred in her eyes when she's saying, like, you know, you know, that, yeah. The disgust every time she sees my face. <laughs> Look here, hate in this she's country. Hate in this country seems to equal to dollar signs. So the more hate there are in those eyes, I'm just seeing a oh, second round pick, first round pick, lottery pick. You know, <laughs> I'm just seeing the more <laughs> hate, the more them dollar signs go up. You know, I'll just say it. You know, <laughs> she'll still love mama. So mama get the big house and I'm going to be living in with mama. So it don't matter. So she get a money to mama. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> she gonna throw in the stipulation. Wow. Yeah, it's like, don't bring that nigga with you. <laughs> Over here, that nigga ain't coming in. <laughs> wow. Hey, my <laughs> wife's gonna be trained very well to make sure 
that she that she stayed at one that you know he don't mean it. You know he loved you. You know that's how. You know that's just how he loved. <laughs> you know that's how he loved. That's how he do it. You know, and and she gonna be trained very well to do that. While I continue to do what I need to do to motivate. We trying to create champions here. I ain't trying to create, you know, this this big old love. Uh, you know, champions is what I'm trying to do. So, you know, it, it take cracking a few eggs make that omelet. Simo, so, huh? is it me or did he like skim over like the word love? <laughs> I'm great champion. We ain't worried about it. Right. 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 <laughs> wait, what? Like, wait. <laughs> How you feel and whether or not you're an emotionally stable human being, that's all secondary. As long as as long as you make it, <laughs> then, then everything else is all okay. worth it. <laughs> Look here. How do you Come think now. That, what you think it's gonna take to be the first female quarterback in the NFL. You think it's going to take a bunch of lovey-dovey holding hands? Now, she going to need to see somebody I think she it's going to take a billionaire father to start that league. No. If that's what's going to take. It's, I don't. I think you you pushing her to be able to do her part, but I don't think you can do your part to actually start this league up in the first place. When she hitting them numbers, bam, bam, bam on every throw, I, you know, I'm on, I'm on, who is that, Lamar Ball? Mm-hmm. Who is that? Who is that that be that be pushing his sons, them ball sons? <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to be the next ball father, bro? That's the status you're trying to reach? <laughs> hey, that's who you try to emulate? I just mean as wow. far as I'm going to be pushing for my kids to, to, to be Nah, there. it's too late. You it's know. too late. Don't put no qualifiers on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna hit it up big time. I'm telling you. You know, look out for it. Look out for the Pee Wee leagues. You right. don't hit the league right away. It's always the CFL. Wow. Everybody always. I'm, I'm always running to the CFL for a little bit. I, I, I'll be on the lookout. I'll be on the lookout uh, wow. for Hudson. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. And as always, last topic of the podcast, the Bears. I cannot believe it, but you all were correct. Uh, Trubisky has been named the starter. Uh, once he fails, so disappointed. Fails. I, I'm I'm not disappointed. I'm disgusted. I'm fucking disgusted. Oh, wow. All right, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever to me. I heard everything you all said about they got to figure out how to make it work. No, they don't. No, they don't. They need to win some damn games. And Trubisky is not going to help you do that. But it seems like I don't know why they love him so much. Like it's already been second second overall. They ain't got no choice but to love You have no choice, but you have to love your investment until you can get rid of him. Look, I haven't seen a single training cap, but I'm calling it now. Nick Foles is better, period. Period. Nick Foles is the better quarterback. I'm I, calling it, man. I think Nick Foles is this, a great backup. This this move is made out of out of pride, and it was made out of embarrassment at the possibility of having to just straight up admit that you made a mistake. There's just no way you could have a fair competition between the two of them and try to have a a, a real look. We're not even going to talk about the fact that they should have just picked up Cam 
to begin with and not let Cam go out to the Patriots. If he's good enough for Bill Belichick, he's for damn sure be good enough to play here. But you know, we go we go X that. We not we're not even gonna discuss that. All right. No, don't give me that look, Jason. I'm speaking facts right now. Cam Newton is better than both of them. All right. But even besides that, Trubisky has already had his opportunity, multiple chances to prove that he is the quarterback that could take us all the way. And it's become abundantly clear he's not. What excuse can they provide to continue sticking with this man? It's only been three years, Samori. Oh, my and God. One of those serious years, right now. And out of the three years, one of the years, they had a very successful season. So what are you expecting? What year? am I expecting? Uh, yeah, I, what do you think is gonna happen? Not much. I I never expect much. So what do what what you playing the straw man no, argument for? Why are you trying to be devil's advocate? All right, don't be trying to pretend that you think he's gonna be doing something this year. Don't don't no nah, don't do that. I'm <laughs> don't do that. We all know how this ends. They are gonna put him on the bench by week four. By week four, they are gonna decide. All right, you know what? It's over for real, y'all. My bad. Let's go ahead and get Foles in here. You know, and again, I'm not trying to say that Foles is just spectacular, but I've considered him like a Kyle Orton type. He's not going to screw it up. He's not going to just do something stupid and ridiculous that causes you to lose the game. And that's all we need. That's all we ask for. You, you keep bringing up Kyle Orton. You miss him, don't you? I do. <laughs> I, you know what it is? You know what it is? Yeah. I I hold it in my soul. All right, that we would have won the Super Bowl if we had started him instead of Grossman. And so ever since then, he's had a sweet spot in my heart, you know, because I feel I honestly feel like if 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 the situ- if they had just stuck with Kyle, who got them there to begin with, then we'd be all right. We would have been all right and we would have just taken it home. But instead, you know, we had to put in the flyboy and we lost. And so it just hurt, hurt me to this day. Yeah. Remember, Grossman got hurt. Grossman got hurt, and Kyle had to play several games. I, I blacked out 2006 after they lost the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> they lost Super Bowl. Yeah. I had to call off work the next day. I couldn't. <laughs> I blacked all that shit out. I got that whole damn season. Yeah, he uh, Grossman got hurt for multiple games, and so there was a real controversy about, okay, which quarterback do you use for the Super Bowl? Because on the one hand, Kyle Orton had been the guy who really got them to the Super Bowl, but he wasn't exciting. He wasn't going to throw these, you know, 40, 50-yard bombs well, down the field. It's because he was but, the game manager. That was it. Exactly. Whereas they felt like Grossman had a much better possibility of really being able to open the game up and, you know, throw the ball downfield and put some points on the board. So they sat Kyle Orton and put Grossman on there, and then they lost. I don't think I don't think they had much uh, much faith that they were going to. It was only so long they thought they could hold uh, uh, Peyton Manning. So I I mean I, I I think from their perspective they they thought that if they get Kyle Orton out there trying to manage the game that Peyton Manning was probably just gonna throw all over them. So they probably thought their only shot was was going Rex Grossman to try to at least get some what they thought was going to be some some points on the board. I think that that might have been their perspective. I don't. It's hard mm-hmm. to remember as well. But <laughs> but uh, as far as as far as uh, nah. Trubinsky, I mean, like I said, I I knew they had no choice in their minds but to start him. 
and then and there was there was gonna be I there was gonna be nothing in in what in these few weeks of just throwing around the ball at a practice without any preseason games without any scrimmages that was basically he would have had to have come in Nick Foles would have had to have come in and shown that he was five times better than Trubisky to be able to pick up that starting job. That's what he was going to have to do in the current situation. Now, if he came in, they had a full training camp, they had had the preseason games, maybe we're talking about a different story. We're talking about then having people actually see the two quarterbacks play, then you got a different story. But what you had was is, is – uh, is both quarterbacks coming off some off of some off years going into practices that that the general public really don't get a chance to see and i mean i i i didn't see any other thing what they were going to do but to start Trubisky. and but like i said it it they start him if he don't do well these first i give it i say they're probably going to give him a three game max and if he don't show signs of life in those three games, I think you're right that they are going to bench him and put in on that fourth game. They're going to go with Nick. But and I think they're going to give him those three games. But other than that, Nick's in there after that. And then we'll see what happens there. But if they don't start Trubisky, and like I said, they drop him and send him somewhere else and then he become an all-star and Nick Foles gets us that 8-8 eight and eight record again, <laughs> they're going to be like, uh, are you kidding me? You let mm-hmm. you, why didn't you give Trubisky your second second <laughs> pick in the draft another shot at this? And the other way, if they, if they, you know what I'm saying? There was no, there's hardly any win for them here. So, you know, I don't know. Either way, we might see a whole different coaching staff coming around there, a whole different management team coming around there again <laughs> come next year. You know, because again, we're going to waste a great deal. Oh, I, mean, I think they love it. It's going to be a brand new GM. It's going to be a whole new deal. They got to yeah. win the Super Bowl for them to keep their jobs this year. I, I think Matt Nagy is good because I think even I feel like they like his system no matter what. You know, like, and you can't you can't really blame these personnel choices on him. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Of course, you can. Why you can't? Why you can't play? <laughs> Why you can't? He the coach. Why? Why you can't? Why you? Why you can't blame personnel issues on the coach? He the one picked because did he? The only book I thought. Uh huh. Go ahead. I thought he was. <laughs> I thought he wasn't really the. Uh, really presented as the deciding factor when it came to Trubisky being picked. He wasn't as, there with uh, when Trubisky got picked. That was fine. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So, so you can't blame him. situation where he had to use him because he didn't get anybody else. He, right. He's a, so, he's a strong factor in the people that he puts on his team. So he could have right. went and got him a quarterback, but he didn't. He stuck with Trubisky. So he made the choice. That this whole Nick Foles thing, be personally honest with you, I believe that they figured out in practice that Nick Foles is a wonderful backup. That's what he is. The only time Nick Foles has been successful has been in a backup role. When they first picked him up in Philadelphia, he was a backup. 
Mm-hmm. And they put him in, okay. and he was this fresh air. It was old Nick Foles. Then the next year he started, <laughs> he sucked balls. Okay? <laughs> they, he, didn't, he did so bad that next year they kicked his ass to the Rams. He was in L.A. for a while. I didn't even know that until not too long ago. <laughs> I didn't know the motherfucker was. When the fuck did they train him? I didn't know. That's when Mike Vick came back. I was like, what happened to Nick Foles? They, he was the second coming to Jesus in Philadelphia. Then his ass ended up in L.A. starting behind Jared Goff. Behind Jared Goff. Didn't play in L.A. Came back to Philly. Was still a backup. Vic got hurt. He came in and did good. <laughs> He's made his career off of being a wonderful backup. And that's what he is. And that's what so he is. So then here's my... Here's my question then, all right? Mm-hmm. So you just gave a, a beautiful eulogy about Nick Foles and his career as a backup. And we have Trubisky, who basically hasn't proven himself to be good at anything. How can you possibly believe that Cam Newton is not better than the two of these people? Well, I never said that he was, wasn't better. Oh, it seems like you were shaking your head no, and disagreeing. Just, with I was just thinking that Cam Newton wouldn't have fit this system. And that's oh. what it kind of goes into when you're talking about quarterbacks and the kind of offense that the Bears run. The Bears are running this, this fucking flex offense and whatnot where they where they, they basically eliminated the running back situation. The running back is basically just another receiver. Hell, you got receivers playing fucking running back now. So... Like, their whole thing is the air game, plain and simple. And Cam Newton ain't ain't big air. He had that one season where he was MVP and whatnot where he where he aired the ball out. But since then mm-hmm. and whatnot, he, that's, that's not his game. He's not a West Coast offense guy. So he wouldn't right. fit this system. Granted, he probably would have been a great fresh air. It would have been nice to see the Bears, you know, make a move like that. Last time I seen him make a move like that shit, it was Cordell Stewart and in fucking the later years of his life and shit. I, shit, I think <laughs> later years. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> like Cordell Stewart wasn't fucking. I forget what the nickname they used to have for Cordell Stewart, but he wasn't that no more when he came to the Bears. <laughs> yeah, it's great to say like, yeah, he, they should have went out there and got Cam Newton or Jameis Winston. Did you really want Jameis Winston? Oh, nah. Did you really, I wanna, did I you really want to yell at the screen as many interceptions that motherfucker threw last year? Did you even Mitch Trubisky ain't even throw that many picks? <laughs> okay, I'll take a couple of overthrows. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I say, I, I'll, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take his word for it and whatnot. If y'all work on the boy's mechanics, if he has the capability of changing his game. Because like I say, I keep making the argument that, that 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 fucking when he came in under Fox, he he was he he was in a bad situation with Fox. Like that whole thing, I think that pick wasn't even for Fox being the head coach. It was whoever the next dude was gonna be. So literally Matt Nagy signed on to a team knowing that he was gonna have that quarterback. So that was his situation in the beginning. Cause they knew Fox was gonna be out after this year. They didn't Pace didn't even consult him on the whole second pick situation. they Pace made that dumbass move to move up to second. They'll go get butt fuck from North Carolina and shit over <laughs> fucking Patrick Mahomes and everybody else that was well the fuck known. 
Mm-hmm. But in the grand scheme and shit, and, and in, in the in what was messed up was is honestly when they picked him up, had I think it was Fox that kind of sabotaged the kid and whatnot and, and put his 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 efficiencies out there when when they basically sat um who was that? The uh, Mike Glennon? Is that who they picked up? They picked up Mike so. Glennon before mm-hmm. they picked him up in the draft. So honestly, when they benched Glenn uh Glennon and then they put Mr. Trubisky in. He he got he got fucking short footed anyway. He basically got sabotaged, and I think that was a Fox move and whatnot on his way out the door. Let me show you this kid and whatnot that you picked up because he needs work, and he needs work. <laughs> he does. Like in the grand scheme of it all, he could be all world, but you have to put some kind of work in with him. You can't wait for the season to start and shit and fuck around and think he's gonna be all damn world and, and judge him in practice. I don't know what he's done in the off season. I don't know who he's worth with in the off season. But it was it was worth the best time to invest in him if they really were going to and to get his mechanics and shit together. Because you can't tell me you didn't see that shit in college. Even right. when you decided to make that that that, that pick and whatnot. They, yeah, he got potential. He's got upside. He's got plenty of upside. But the problem is, is what what efforts are you putting in to 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 enhance that upside? And I don't think the Bears were doing that. Especially when Nagy came out and admitted the fact that he only opened up part of the, he only let the nigga look at one one page of the fucking playbook. <laughs> to come out mm-hmm. on, to come out and say that shit on camera was the dumbest fucking thing you could say because you basically just said that your quarterback is a fucking idiot. We we not giving him no more than four damn plays, so you handicapped the kid right off top. Well, you also told every team you're not running more than four plays a game, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! But just like everybody else, and like in every different offense and every different season, it was just like how Kaepernick was like so successful when he first came in. It's just like it's just like Nick Foles when he jumps in into a game and stuff. They had that advantage that most teams don't have that film on them running those particular offenses or doing those particular things. And that always gives you that uptick. That always gives you better performances, which I think is what happened that first year Nagy was in. Now, the second year, which was last year, which disappointed us all, you saw the fact that they put no work into Trubisky. They literally, they did nothing to help enhance this boy's up game. They didn't work on any of his mechanics. They they came into the, into the fucking training camp and he was what he was. Now, I don't know if they made the decision to do anything this year in the offseason or have him work with somebody. I don't know because I know they do have a different quarterbacks coach, but I don't know, you know, what the situation is. So I give them the benefit of the doubt. If they took some time in, maybe he did make some improvements on the, on that in, 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 in his mechanics and what he did in practice. I know it's I know it's most your teammates' job is to uplift you all the time and talk good shit because I only know one motherfucker shit that actually came on camera and said his quarterback wasn't shit and I think that was uh I think that was Michael Irvin saying that shit about Troy Aikman one time and Troy was like oh okay I got you you know what I mean so it's, <laughs> it's, I I'd like to hear especially when you have defensive players and whatnot that kind of comment too and say like yo he he looks like a totally different person. I like to take that word for it. What not if they put work in in the off season? If they worked on those inefficiencies that he had, but we won't know because we didn't get to see no preseason games. So week one against Detroit, 
hopefully we looking at a brand new Mr. Biscuit. Or at least week what's one. better than a, a backup Nick Foles. Week one, we're going to see what we're going to see. Yeah, it's I don't a, have. Week one, and we're going to see a preseason game is what we're going to see. And we're going to see Trubisky exactly. looking, like a, looking like a clown out there. The only the only saving grace is that a lot of people <laughs> will be looking like clowns out there because it's going to be basically a preseason game. So hopefully that'll be the saving grace. But, um, you know, I, I would like to say that I I need to know who his agent is because his agent needs to be an agent for us in our show because he can obviously <laughs> he can obviously talk you know talk fish into into buying some water. I mean, he, I don't know what he did to get the Bears to to say we're gonna move up in the draft to pick him, move up one spot because <laughs> we are scared. You know they tried to move up to the number one draft pick. You know they tried. <laughs> and they just were not giving it up. You know they tried to get the number one pick so that they could pick Trubisky because they were scared that both those teams were going to take him. Oh, my him. God. <laughs> so, could you imagine? That blew my mind. <laughs> number one pick, Trubisky. Could you imagine? I <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, That's man. That would have been. I think stuff would have been burning in Chicago. What? What a guy! Soldier Field would have been on fire. But we gotta <laughs> also remember that 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 whole Bears team wasn't quite the same when it came back, and and I think it really is a testament to the coaching, where, you know, it don't look like they really worked on much else, um, as far as team wise. They just said. It worked last year. We're going to try to keep that same thing. And that just don't work at a professional level. It don't work professionally. Mm-hmm. You got to keep being on your toes. And even if you're still only going to run four plays for Trubisky, they need to be different ones than what you did last year. And and you need to find a way to get your <laughs> – you need to find a way to get your playmakers involved. I mean, we totally missed Tariq Cohen last year. We told, and he was a major mm. part of the playmaking last year, and we totally missed him. So you know, like I, I'm really in withdrawal because I used to get excited when I saw him get on the field. Now it's just like, <laughs> you know, you know, is uh, like he, why is he? Yeah, why is he even at the game? You know, <laughs> so so I, I right. think <laughs> I think we got to remember when we talk about Trubisky, is that they built that they built a lot of tools around him to to try to to try to make him successful which which I hate that part because you just kind of give up on having an all-star quarterback but on the other hand they had a lot of things going on where the defense were getting so many picks they were getting so many tackles for losses so many sacks they were getting so many turnovers Trubisky was getting the ball at midfield and how hype are you at just after a turnover and now you got the ball, you know, and now you, yeah, you're going to throw a 30-yard bomb. You hype the defense that got you hype. And that just did not happen like it did mm-hmm. the previous year. That just did not happen. Like, they, the defense still played great, but it wasn't that defense that that we remember it in 2018. Was. It was not that. So, and there were some injuries. There were a lot of injuries. But, again, they're professional. They got to find a way to work through that, and they didn't. 
You know, they did not adjust, which is what the yeah. Bears are known for. They do not adjust to anything. They just try to keep banging their head against that wall and hoping eventually that wall is going to break. And let's, and let's not get it twisted. Nagy ain't that good of a coach. At least he's not good at play call. You know what I mean? I, I, I think I heard them say that he's he gave up the play calling, and I think his offensive coordinator is going to be doing the play calling. So let's hope that makes a big damn difference. Because he, when he's sitting down there on the field trying to call plays with that dumbass clip, that big-ass thing in his front of his damn – it didn't work out well. It really didn't. Because no. in the grand scheme, it's, the players, they got to make the plays, but you're making the call on what this play is. You got a damn third and one and shit, and you trying to throw a fucking fade and shit or some kind of out and up. Nigga, just get the first down. Just get it. One damn yard. <laughs> Let's just get the first down and worry about that shit down the field a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And he had been making them mistakes and shit since he got here. We we seen it. Even the, even the year when we was all geeked up, we all sitting here looking like, you know, Nagy, that was some bullshit. You, you could have did a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. Honestly. So hopefully he done worked on himself too and gave that shit to somebody who can actually do some good play call. Somebody well, needs to be calling that shit from up there in the booth. They can see what's going on. In 2018, there was a lot of games where we were like, this game is a little closer than it should be. I mean, based on what we're seeing, it should be like 34 to 6. But this game is now 28 to 27. Right. I, I'm not quite sure why that is. So it was a lot of games that were a lot closer. <laughs> they should have been. At halftime, we lead by three touchdowns. You know, but and, yeah. but and you also got to remember, they placed a lot of concentration. I mean, we had to get that kicker. We had to get that kicker situation straightened out. We didn't have time to work on quarterbacks and, 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 making, and making sure our plays were. We had to get that kicker. We had 20 kickers to evaluate, and we had to get that one who was currently <laughs> in reserve, I believe. Um, but we had to go out and get that kicker. <laughs> You know, so <laughs> they put a kick on the practice squad mm-hmm. after they made all their cuts and they got down to the 53 man roster because they picked up, I think his name was Santos, was the other kicker they picked up. They put that ball on the crap practice squad. Yep, they're gonna have to bring them back. Now. Why? <laughs> I had never seen that before. Like, when do, when do kickers get the practice squad? I ain't okay, <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta keep this dude just in case. Yeah. I don't have uh, I don't have high hopes, brothers. I don't have high hopes, but just do what I, I we'll do. We'll see very soon. Every time somebody asks me about the Bears season and whatnot, what you expect? Nothing. I had <laughs> two years ago, and I was pleasantly surprised. I came into the next year, last year, with expectations, and I got fucked. <laughs> no expectations. Yeah. Just be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> I'll try to keep it in mind, brother. <laughs> all right. All right, everyone. That's enough for today. I want to thank all of you for joining us here at SJH Man Cave. We appreciate you spending time with us today. I'd like to give a special thanks to King Customs for helping to keep cars running smoothly for the past three years. Let's support our black businesses, y'all. Once again, if you are a black business owner and would like to get featured as our business of the week, please make sure to send an email to info at sjhmancave.com. Any of our listeners can get a hold of us there as well. 
Remember that you can hear this and other episodes on all your major podcast platforms. We also are on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please hit that subscribe button, like, and leave a comment. You can also like, share, and follow us on Facebook at SJH Podcast Family. I'd like to thank my two fellow podcasters, Jason and Hudson, for keeping it real. Until next time, this is your host, Samori, signing off. Two of them. Peace out.